and welcome. It's a Friday edition of the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here with you. Donovan will be back on Tuesday. He's enjoying some sun right now. What's that? Sun? Where? Not here. Last night's game provided us with a little bit of sunlight, actually. You know, and it wasn't because of all the yellow that was on the field last night, but I know that I said that this, I know I picked the under, I get it. But I will tell you this, I'm pleasantly surprised and actually quite giddy when the Thursday night or any primetime game actually hits the over because it doesn't happen all that often. But boy, oh boy, last night did it ever. I think they hit the over by like, three, four minutes into the third quarter. Like, that's what it kind of felt like. Hey, I was happy about that. No issue with that. Cowboys win at 41-35 in what was really a penalty-filled game. And there was so much laundry on the field that I thought it was sponsored by Tide. It was absolutely ridiculous. So much so that our pal, well, he's not our pal, but he's, it feels like he's everybody's pal because I like this guy. He's honest. He doesn't eat vegetables. Never had a vegetable in his life. Even the Thanksgiving Day game where they, were, they brought out the, actually it was the Friday, they brought out like a sandwich and he basically had Kirk Herbstreet inspect it for him to make sure there was no vegetables in it. You know who I'm talking about. It's Al Michaels. Here's Al Michaels last night. Well, this is part of it is Cleet Blakeman. Part of it is Kirk Herbstreet. But the star of the show, as it always is, is Al Michaels. Third or fourth? Yeah, fourth. Yeah. Drawn this one. Yeah, this one. We're going to take the rest of the night off and let Cleet Blakeman call the game. You buy him? Sure. He and Terry can get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Stuffed in. Well, 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 Al Michaels, as always, the star of the show. It was just, it, it felt like, especially like there were 19 penalties in that game, 19 penalties for 257 yards. There were almost as many penalties as Dak Prescott threw for yardage yesterday. And there were flags that were picked up because the play negated the penalty. Like, what are we doing here? The officials have really taken over. Like, the spotlight is certainly on them. In a game where mm, it probably shouldn't have been. Because it was actually a really fun game. It did feel like backwards day, though. The Seattle offense was, dare I say, very good last night. And the Dallas defense was, dare I say, not very good last night. I know Duran Bland had another pick. It wasn't a pick six. So it was not nearly as exciting. I'm just kidding. He's having an incredible season. But lo and behold, Dak Prescott once again continues to push towards MVP consideration. 299 yards, three touchdowns. And for this Dallas team, you know, Tony Pollard had a, another decent day. I don't want to say that it was a great day because it wasn't because he was super inefficient. Again, but he still rushed for over 60 yards, had another touchdown, which I know people that are rostering Tony Pollard on their fantasy teams are super stoked about it 
because we all remember that stretch where Tony Pollard couldn't fall into the end zone if there was nobody in front of him. Like, that's how bad it got. And again, the Dallas offense continues to improve. There there was a time that we were really asking questions about how good this Dallas offense was going to be. Tony Pollard wasn't running the ball very well. Dak Prescott wasn't playing all that great, although he wasn't turning the ball over, which he's done a very good job of not doing this year, especially if we're comparing to last season. And it's really gotten better seemingly over the last four or five weeks. Like really to the point where you think they're firing on all cylinders. And I know we all want to point to how great CD lamb has been. And we will get there. Don't worry. Cause CD lamb has been great, but don't confuse the fact that CD lamb has been really great. And Brandon cooks has emerged somewhat as a number two option in this offense. Somebody who can also stretch the field and, Oh, I don't know. Maybe give CD lamb a little bit more space. Let's not forget, Brandon Cook started out the year horribly for the Cowboys. That was the that was supposed to be the big addition that was going to be the Robin to C.D. Lamb's Batman. It was going to be the guy who could take coverage away from C.D. Lamb, much like C.D. Lamb got when Amari Cooper was there. Are they the same player? Well, you could make the argument that Brandon Cooks is a pretty darn good receiver. Is he as good right now as Amari Cooper is? Probably not. But he's still a very good receiver in his own right. Before it was Mike Evans that was, well, maybe not before, but while we talked about Mike Evans being the automatic 1,000-yard guy, Brandon Cooks was also that guy. And I know people are saying, well, he didn't have that last year in Houston. No, because he only played 13 games. He's had 699 yards. And And they barely threw him the ball. I mean, Davis Mills was throwing him the ball, for God's sake. Davis Mills and that giraffe neck aren't very good. But Brandon Cooks came to the Cowboys and he was supposed to be that second option because I think we've all seen enough of Michael Gallup at this point. The days of Michael Gallup being a thousand yard receiver are few and far between and we're, well, we're not going to see them again. But Brandon Cooks was supposed to be that guy and he was dreadful at the beginning of the year. Could have been, you know, adjusting to a new offense. It could have been the role. It could have been, a boatload of different things. But what we know is that Brandon Cooks has emerged. It may not look like these gaudy numbers that we've seen him put up before, but what it is is a guy that is creating space because you have to account for him in the offense. He scored another touchdown yesterday. And let's be real. He's been a nice little addition. And I know we've talked a lot about Brandon Cooks. And what we should be doing is focusing on how great CeeDee Lamb has been. Now, we all recall, and I brought this up with Calvin Watkins on the show yesterday. We all recall Richard Sherman, and I brought it up on the show. CeeDee Lamb is no more than a number two receiver. He's like Jalen Waddell, and he's like T. Higgins. I like both of those receivers. I think they're both really good. I think they would be number ones on a lot of teams. But I will tell you this, as good as they are, they are not as good as CeeDee Lamb. And I'm not going to say that I'm smarter than Richard Sherman because I'm not. Guy's guy's a Hall of Famer, if we're being honest. One of the best DBs that we've seen play the game. 
and he's very smart. But that was just a bad take. CeeDee Lamb has been as good as anyone else in the NFL basically over the last seven or eight games. So when we look at the numbers, in four of his last six games, CeeDee Lamb has hit or exceeded 14 targets, 11 catches, and 116 yards. And in the one game of those four that he did not hit any of those totals, he had 191 receiving yards. So he didn't have a touchdown in that game, but he had 191 receiving yards. This guy is going to make bank this offseason. You know, we've we've talked a lot about how the Dallas Cowboys have not hit very many home runs on their contracts. I will give them credit. Not giving Tony Pollard a big extension was the right decision because we've seen what Tony Pollard is as a number one back. He's inefficient. He's can't really grind out the yards that you need to. He's going to be like, he's going to be a guy that has, you know, a, a 3.5 yards per carry as the lead guy. He needs a break. So they won that one by not giving him the extension and just tagging him. But I'm telling you right now, they are not winning this CD lamb negotiation. It's not going to be Ezekiel Elliott bad because running back contracts, well, they never age well. But the CD lamb one, boy, oh boy, they might be making CD lamb the highest paid receiver in the NFL because it's, as we know in sports and this, this goes across sports. It's not about being the best because I don't think he's the best receiver in the league. That's for Justin Jefferson. But you can make the argument on any given day that CeeDee Lamb is top seven, five, three. Can we go that high? But he's going to get paid like he's the top receiver in the league because then Justin Jefferson is going to set the market because you know that Justin Jefferson wants C.D. Lamb to sign his extension first. Because that he's going to look at it and go, oh, okay, he got, he got $20 million a season or $25 million a season, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm worth more than that. And you know it. But C.D. Lamb's going to make a lot of money this year. So that will be one that we will keep an eye on because then we can talk about how Jerry Jones lost another contract negotiation. Those are always fun conversations. Um, But the Cowboys win again at Gerald World. Not Jerry World. Gerald World. And the offense looks good. Here's where people are... I I might lose some people. Because they're going to... Because they have the Dallas Cowboys on their fantasy roster. And look how great... Well, they did put up a minus one yesterday in one of the leagues I was playing in. I don't think anybody expected... That one, nor do I think that people expected 35 points from the Seattle Seahawks who have struggled. And we laid out the numbers yesterday on the show. They don't score a lot of points, aren't super efficient, and they haven't really been throwing the ball very well with Geno Smith. We're going to learn a lot about the Dallas Cowboys over the course of the next four games. Because as great as the defense has been, when they play teams that have 
basically any sort of offense outside of the Washington commanders, because they don't really count because they don't have an offensive line. When they have a team that is coherent on offense, they have struggled. The Dallas Cowboys will play the Philadelphia Eagles, the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, and the Detroit Lions in their next four games. So while at the beginning of the season, we were talking about how great this defense is, and it's going to be the thing that carries this team throughout the playoffs. Mm, I think I can stop short of that now because that defense beats up on bad teams as they should. They have talent, but that defense maybe not so good against good offenses. And the one thing that those four teams that they will play in their next four games have in common is, well, they're good offenses. So we're going to learn a lot about the Dallas Cowboys over the course of the next four games as it pertains to their Super Bowl contender candidacy. Because if they go and get their doors blown off defensively against the Eagles and the Bills and the Dolphins and the Lions, which are all very well within the realm of possibility, then we're going to be having a different conversation about the Dallas Cowboys and that Super Bowl candidacy. And if, and if, the defense struggles and they manage to win games, I can tell you this. The calls, not only on this show, but around the NFL circles for Dak Prescott for MVP are only going to get louder because that guy is so disrespected in his own market especially after the year that he's having right now, there are still somehow Dak Prescott haters. Guess what? Dak Prescott carried that team yesterday to that win because their defense defense sure as hell didn't. Maybe we need to give a little bit more credit to Dak Prescott and that offense. On the flip side, for Seattle, that's a really tough loss. It's a game that you not only led, but you were certainly in. And one of those games that the defense didn't show up and something that the defense has done pretty well over the course of the year, when the offense has struggled, it was a game that they needed both facets to work in order to win. And it didn't happen. Geno Smith, 334 yards. Three TDs, all to DK Metcalf, by the way, and one interception. And in that game, you know, before we had talked about the importance of getting DK Metcalf involved. Well, he he was certainly involved yesterday. They didn't just have him run go routes. They didn't just have him get a lot of cardio running up and down the field, although he looked really fast on that first touchdown. It was almost as if he was making a point. And the sign language in the end zone is awesome. You going to suspend a guy for that? Good luck, NFL. 90% of the people in the NFL offices can't even understand what he's saying anyway. But DK Metcalf looked good. Geno Smith looked good. And Geno Smith got a little bit of help from the offensive line, but not a ton. And now we look at the Seattle Seahawks and wonder... 
Are they going to get into the playoffs? Like, I know it may take a serious fall from grace here, but let's look at the upcoming schedule. Niners on the road, probably a loss. Eagles at home, still probably a loss. Titans on the road, whatever. They win that one. Steelers at home with maybe an improved offense in Pittsburgh, question mark. Kind of do it in the I'm Ron Burgundy voice. Who put the who put the question mark in the teleprompter? And then they finish up with Arizona, a team who they have kind of beaten handily over the last four or five games. But that game could actually mean something for Seattle down the stretch here, something I don't think a lot of people thought it would. The defense needs to put it together. And the offense, who was already without Kenneth Walker last night, also lost Zach Charbonnet to a knee injury. And we don't know how significant it is, or at least I hadn't seen how significant it is, but he was ruled out fairly quickly. And I don't know about you, as much as I like uh, Kenny McIntosh, former Georgia product, I don't really love DJ Dallas or Kenny McIntosh enough to say, yeah, this offense will be fine over the course of the rest of the regular season if both of those guys aren't healthy. Because, like, the Kenneth Walker injury is an oblique injury. And as we've seen, those are not ones that you just recover from in a week or two. Like, that could be something that lingers maybe for the course of the regular season. Maybe. So the Seahawks, for as much ground as they have created, are now 6-6. Six and six. And, by the way, the Green Bay Packers are right on their heels. And it's going to be a tall task for Green Bay. And we're going to talk about that game later. It's going to be a tall task for them to beat the Chiefs, but they are at home. They are playing a lot better. Seattle's far from home and cooled here. Like they, I, I, I had talked about them over the course of the last few weeks. I just don't see it there. They can't put it together in both facets on any given night. I mean, there's lots of teams like that. But that just tells you right there, there's lots of teams like that, and they're just kind of like everybody else, or at least a bunch of teams in that murky middle. I will tell you this, though. There was another bright spot for the Seahawks last night, and that is the emergence of Jackson Smith and Jigba. Seven catches, 62 yards. And for a lot of people's money, he was... Maybe the best receiver in this draft class. I know a lot of people will point to Zay Flowers. I know a lot of people at one time were pointing to Quentin Johnston, but now they're just pointing to him to go sit on the bench. No, Quentin, you go over there. That's what Brandon Staley does. Oh, he's healthy enough to come back? Mm, Nah, he can just sit on the bench. It's fine. And it took a while for Jackson Smith and Jigba to get a role in this offense. And now that he has, hey, pretty good. If I'm not mistaken, he had 11 targets last night in a game that they had to throw the ball a lot. But still, second on the team in receiving, first on the team in receptions against what we thought was a good Dallas defense. 
It's pretty good. But if the defense and the offense can't get on the same page here for the Seahawks, it's it's going to be a year without the playoffs. They just have not been consistent enough. I know they had a little winning streak uh, a few games ago, but it really feels like they're just, they're not cohesive. Like something isn't working, whether it be the play calling, whether it be, you know, some of the, I mean, when you don't have Kenneth Walker in your lineup, it's, it's not, they, they went into the season hoping, Hey, we're going to have this one, two punch at running back. And they haven't really had that. Zach Charbonnet has missed a bit of time. Kenneth Walker's missed a bit of time. And when they've been together, they haven't had that one, two punch. Like we saw at points last year with Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny, who by the way, can't even get on the field in Philadelphia. But the Seahawks are going to be in a little bit of trouble here. Like like I said, that schedule going forward here for them with the Niners, with the Eagles, the Steelers mixed in there as well. They should beat the Titans. They should beat the Cardinals. The only saving grace for them is there are so many bad teams in the NFC. And I know that I said two teams from the NFC South were going to make the playoffs. The way they're playing right now, they shouldn't even allow the division leader to get into the playoffs. Does anybody really want to watch the Atlanta Falcons in the playoffs? I don't. I want to see no part of Arthur Smith in the playoffs because that will just lend more credence to them keeping him around and continuing to ruin football. (sighs) Did you guys hear the latest on that? Kyle Pitts is still a big part of our offense. What offense? Where? Did I miss something? By the way, the memes yesterday of Zach Ertz after, actually, we didn't even talk about that. So Zach Ertz gets his release from the Cardinals. He has to go through waivers. And the memes of like smiling Arthur Smith face with Zach Ertz being available so he could add another tight end to his group. They were great because we all know that Arthur Smith ruins football and he should be fired into the sun. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got some games to preview and I got a special guest coming in to do it. Daniele Franceschi. I'm not going to call him producer extraordinaire because he doesn't like that. After such a great performance earlier this week, we're having him back and we don't have to talk about the bills. It's all great. Matt Marchese, the fan check down on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll be back in a few. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here as we get you set for a weekend of NFL football. Less games, too. So I'm trying to go through the list. And Daniele Franceschi joins me in here. You know what he is? He's a good host, too. That's what he is. I've graduated. Thank you, Maddie. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Austin. (laughs) They, they, you love me. You really love me. Um, yeah, and when I'm going through the list of games here, as I switch notes, because mm-hmm. I'm hosting a different show 
very shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what happens when multi-talented, multifaceted. Jack of all trades, master of none. That's what they call me around these parts. <laughs> he can produce a show. He can host a show. And we like him just where he is. <laughs> Don't you dare move. Um, but I'm going through these games yesterday. I'm like, man, I feel... Not that I had a hard time finding five because that's usually what we do. But mm-hmm. I'm looking at them going by, oh boy. Like there's some there's some bad games on this schedule. And I know it's football and there's fantasy implications. There's all these other things. But there's bad football that's going to be played this weekend. And I kind of expect it at this point in the year. But the first game that we'll start out with was a game that if you had asked me at the beginning of the season, Matt, in week 13, there's going to be a lot of bad football played. Is this a game that you would have on your list? And I would have said, yes, Broncos at Texans, Texans favored by three and a half points. The total is 47, which I totally blew my mind. (laughs) Um, I looked at this and I said, yeah, there's going to be bad football. But this has playoff implications. Massive. Massive playoff implications. And for you and I, and I said we wouldn't talk about the Bills, but this is the perfect game to end in a tie if you're a Bills fan because these are two teams that are ahead of them in the playoff race right now. The Broncos have won five in a row. They're tied with the Eagles for the longest current winning streak. And really, the Houston Texans have outplayed even my expectations. I had them over the five win total. I said, they're going to win more games than the Patriots, which that was a slam dunk and that they were going to win more than five games, but I didn't see playoffs in their future here. And we've talked a lot about CJ Stroud, but there's more to it. The defense has been really good, or at least it's, it's been better. Um, But this is, this is actually going to be, I don't want to say a fun game because the Denver Broncos don't play fun football, but I think that you could, Talk about CJ Stroud in the offense versus Denver and that defense much improved after being much maligned earlier in the year. And the Houston run defense, which was the worst in football last year, it's now the eighth best going up against the Broncos offense, who all they want to do is run the ball. There's a lot to like about this game. A hundred percent. I mean, and you just circle back to one thing. It's meaningful. Like yeah. the game itself is just meaningful with massive playoff implications across the board. And yes, a tie would be nice because the Bills are static at the moment, and obviously that would help them. But nevertheless, I mean, A, you've got an offense in the Denver Broncos that seemingly has clicked. They're not, it's not a sexy brand of football that oh they're playing God, on that it's side. Not. But here's what they do well. They run the ball well. They play off of play action. And then in certain moments, they are very selective and almost, it's very calculated when they allow Russell Wilson to cook, to extend plays. I think they get, I let him simmer a little bit yes. rather than cook. I yes. think it's simmer. That's, I like that. Yeah. And it works. It has worked because he's able to make those plays, that those old vintage Russell Wilson-esque plays that we're accustomed to seeing at different points. So I think it's, in, it's a really interesting matchup. I'm very excited to see how C.J. Stroud ma- matches up against that Broncos secondary with Sertan back there and Justin Simmons back there playing safety. Two guys that I think are more underrated defensive backs in all of football playing in the secondary uh, on that side of the ball. I'm very curious to see how that goes. And Denver sort of knows what their identity is, especially on that on the offensive side, what they want to do. They lean on their defense a ton. Mm-hmm. They try to win the turnover battle, which they've done, plus 13 over their last five games. 
pretty impressive, 16-3 to in that margin. They don't turn it over offensively very often. And so it makes puts you in a position where they're just kind of playing clock management games at that point, too. So you have to capitalize, if you're Houston, on all your possessions. You can't turn over the ball. It's just a really good chess match between two interesting teams that really have a strong sense of what their identities are and how they match up. And it's great because they're both six and five and they're both fighting for their playoff lives. Like mm-hmm. it's a really, really fun, interesting matchup for a game that before the season, you probably you would have looked at and was said, please, not week 13? That. Come on, that's buried in one of these slates. But yeah. instead, it's featured prominently in the 1 p.m. window on Sunday. Yeah, because the 1 p.m. window is really bad. Yes. It's not very good I either. I believe they so. were flexed into this spot where they were earlier in the day. If I remember correctly, the timing was shifted to where they were moved into the 1 p.m. spot because they deemed this game to be relevant and important. Well, it is. And could be a big break for the Broncos secondary, too, because there is a chance, and it looks like it might be a good one, that there's no Tank Dell in that game. So, And we'll see about Noah Brown, who is coming off two monster performances and then has missed the last two games. Um, I'd be very curious to see how the Houston offense, specifically how CJ Stroud does against that Denver defense and that secondary, like you mentioned, without Tank Dell. Because what does Tank Dell do very well? He does a lot of things very well, clearly. But the way that he can stretch a defense, opening up maybe the the short, the interim to short game for a guy like Dalton Schultz, who was not very good last week, or a guy like Nico Collins, yep. very, very important to that offense. And the other thing is, Denver's run defense isn't very good. It's been better of late. It's still not very good. That's the one thing that Houston hasn't been able to do this year, aside from a couple of Devin Singletary games, <laughs> is run the ball very well. So this really does feel like, and again, that total at 47 just kind of threw me for a loop, but I guess it's because, let's face it, Houston's been able to put up points. Um, man, if they can't get any sort of running game going, they're going to be in trouble because they're just going to be able to focus on you know, stopping Nico Collins, and then it's like, okay, beat us with Dalton Schultz. Like, we're fine with that. So it's going to be a very interesting chess match between two coaches who are on two entirely different ends of the spectrum. Yep. The the Hall of Fame coach in Sean Payton, he's going to be a Hall of Fame coach, and D'Amico Ryans, who is on his first, his first year on the job in Houston, has done a really good job. And the way that Sean Payton has turned the team around after the way they started – much as I don't love Sean Payton, that's very impressive. Oh, he deserves a lot of credit. He, he definitely sh- deserves a lot of credit. And, I mean, the biggest project stepping in was related to the quarterback and what they were going to do to make it work. And he's sitting there as much as we say, hey, you know, Russ in a lot of ways has become more of a glorified game manager at this point. But the interesting thing is, I mean, he's got a 5-1 to one touchdown interception ratio, 20 touchdowns, four interceptions on the season. Like, he's he's efficient. And I think that's what they're asking him to do, and he's been executing it flawlessly up until this point the tank Dell thing is interesting it's a big domino because he does so much to their offense like he's such a big weapon and he's the guy that takes the top off the defense like that's it's it's every game you're seeing him routinely make chunk plays downfield so not if he's unable to go and there's you know it's Nico Collins and then possibly Noah Brown and then Bobby Trees it makes things a lot easier for the Broncos defense because 
you know where the football is probably going to go. Yeah. And it probably makes life a lot more challenging for CJ Stroud. If that's the case, one thing, I mean, CJ Stroud has done a really good job protecting the ball this year. Like he had that mm-hmm. one outlier game a couple of weeks ago where he threw the three picks against Arizona. Yep. Aside from that, he's got two the rest of the way. He's been really, really good at protecting the ball. And so he makes good decisions for the most part. That's what really stands out is just the decision-making. It's a, it's an, it's a really fascinating chess match between these two teams and with a game that again, we're sitting here and surprisingly has huge playoff implications attached. Yeah. And not that, uh, not that he hasn't had to deal with the, um, with the offensive line injuries, but uh, Titus Howard will not be playing. Um, He's done for the rest of the year. That's a massive, massive loss for them. Uh, Okay. Next on the docket Mm -hmm. um, again, this one, I feel like it, it shouldn't be a good game. But again, there's playoff implications. And one of the teams I believe is good, but they've struggled lately. It's the Lions uh, minus four against the Saints in New Orleans. A total, again, 47. What? I felt like there were like a bunch of 47-point totals this week. I thought there was a malfunction when those, I saw it. Those two are very bizarre. Like the 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 Houston game that we just talked about, this one. The Saints off. can't score. That's what I mean. Like, Unless Jameis Winston's at quarterback, Maddie, they, they can't got, score. Well, that's the, they have the worst red zone offense. One of, actually, not, I was going to say the worst. Just give it's the ball to Taysom Hill. It's the fourth worst red zone offense in the NFL this year, technically speaking. Derek Carr is one of the worst red zone quarterbacks in the NFL. This guy's completing like 40% of his passes inside the 20. So, yeah, I don't know where that that figure is going to come. Like, no. who's going to score the points there? Well, and this and the Saints' defense is is at least decent. Um, although they did give up twenty four last week or twenty five to Atlanta, which is mm-hmm. weird. Well, but, they got destroyed on the ground. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. You mentioned Derek Carr there. To me, Derek Carr is literally the definition of average. Like, if you had to look up the definition <laughs> in the dictionary, there is a picture of Derek Carr under average. <laughs> he's not good. He's not bad enough that you are going to tank a season, and he's not good enough that you're ever going to win. And there's n- and the Saints are stuck with him until mm-hmm. at least 2026, when I think the dead cap to get out of his contract is like $11 million. Until then, you're stuck. You're probably not going out and spending significant draft capital on a quarterback because who knows who the head coach is going to be. But I look at it and I say, okay, you wanted to go out and get a quarterback, but is he tangibly better than Jameis Winston I at know. this point? It's, it's and a, a lot less money. It's a valid question. Like, let's. I, I. It's funny you said average. I wrote it down. He's the definition of, as the kids say, mid. That's what he is. Like he's mid. Kids that are a lot younger than me, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Even now, I feel super old these days. Mid, but they, as you pointed out, they hand him the bag last off season. Boy, you want to hear something ever. interesting though? Sure. This guy's passed for three hundred yards five times this season. And and how many of those games has he thrown for no touchdowns? He's I know been, the last game he did. He, but he's and but it's everything, especially inside between the twenty and the goal line, that he is just brutal. Yeah. Brutal. It's like, he gets the, it's like he gets the yips in the red zone. Yes, and compounding this as well, this for this week especially, like Chris Olave may or may not play. He's practiced in a limited capacity, but he's in the protocol. He hasn't cleared the protocol yeah, yet. And, so, and he's the only guy because there's no Michael Thomas out there anymore. So there's they've, they lead Rashid on him. Rashid Shahid might not play either. Oh, that's Jesus. So like last week before. So is, he's throwing to Taysom Hill, essentially. Essentially, because Olave was getting peppered with targets. Like, great for fantasy. I, I own him. He was getting peppered with targets last week before he exited because there's mm-hmm. nobody else there anymore. No. So it was great. Alvin Kamara, 35 targets this week. Book it. Oh, my, but speaking of Kamara, the something crazy too. This guy, 
He's got 54 receptions this year, right? So he missed, what, the first four games he was suspended? What was it? Three games? Three. Was it three games three or four? Games? I can't remember. But I think it was three. He, so he's got 54 receptions. He's averaging six yards per catch. It's oh. the third lowest all time for any guy with at least 50 receptions in a season. Third lowest all time. That's crazy. Yes. Well, I mean, they only, they, they, Derek Carr takes a snap. He roll, he, he, you know, three-step drop, throw it to Kamara. He's five <laughs> yards down the field. It's fine. He'll be fine. Um, on the other side of the ball, the Lions, they're coming off that Thanksgiving Day loss, a game that they should have won based on who was out for Green Bay. And mm-hmm. it wasn't pretty. Like, that game was basically over by the first half, it felt like. And Jared Goff, who almost set an NFL, he was closing in on an NFL record for most consecutive passes without an interception at one point in the year. And I will take full credit. I jinxed it because I brought it up <laughs> on the air and said, I know he's going to throw an interception now. And he did that week. Six turnovers his last two games. He's generally speaking during his time with the Lions has taken care of the football. Even early in his career with the Rams under Sean McVay, he took care of the football near the end. He didn't, but this is really the case of if Jared Goff does not turn the ball over, this team wins. It's, it's very cut and dry. The defense is what it is. It has its moments where it's great. It has its moments where it hemorrhages points. Yep. But a lot of that is too, when Derek Carr's not, t- uh, Derek Carr's, I got Derek Carr on the line because he turns the ball over. <laughs> oh, he does. When, when Jared Goff is not turning the ball over, he's not putting the defense in yep. those spots where they have to be great. And therefore they're not giving up points. Like that's the big difference here. And we've seen that over the last two weeks, they probably should have lost to the bears. The Bears, who were in Detroit, it was, you know, it was a home game for Detroit. It wasn't pretty, and they almost lost it. They had to score twice in the last three minutes. In the game against Green Bay, they were the home team on a short week with a banged-up roster coming in in Green Bay, and they lost that game. I think this is the – if there's a time that you want to go – into the skids a little bit. It's probably now as opposed to later in the year. I still have faith that this team is going to go far in the playoffs. I'm still going to stand by my bold prediction. They're getting to the NFC championship game. But if, if Jared Goff is turning the ball over, they're not gonna be able to do that. No question. Uh, I think it is, as you put it, very cut and dry protects. If he protects the football, they win games and they, they're a team that is, I don't want to say very system oriented, but this guy, we know Jared Goff, is you don't want him to make the off script place. You don't want to put no, him in positions. No, because he can't. Exactly. He, he needs to throw from the pocket and from nowhere else. And that means run the football, get into your play action, keep teams off balance on first and second down with what you do in those situations. And that's where they've been remarkably effective. He locks in on his guys. Amon Ra, St. Brown gets peppered with targets. Sam Laporte is a good weapon. They have decent skill position, pass catchers, two good running backs. Lean on that, protect the ball. Like this is a game they should they should win. Should, they should yeah. win this game. Yeah. Right? But even though it's a road game, they should and they should cover that spread too. And, yeah, totally. And especially coming off a loss on Thanksgiving at home against Green Bay in a game where it felt even with the turnovers, there were moments where you're sitting there thinking, okay, string together a couple drives. You're right there. Yeah. You're hanging in that game. String together a couple drives. And they, they did. Out, they just ended in turnovers. They even in they start the second half, they come out, boom, they scored a touchdown right away. Then what what starts happening? Turnovers. The turnovers become a problem. Green Bay, yeah, they stayed aggressive. They tried to be aggressive. The defense held up for the most part. Yeah. Right? They they didn't they bent, 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 didn't break, gave them a chance. 
this this team I think is due for a, a good bounce back this week. So I, I feel pretty confident about the Lions. And I think a lot of it, their success both interim and long-term rest of the way is it, it's contingent on on Jared Goff and the turnovers. Is he is he going to protect the ball? And he, he when he's got the time and the play calling is right, he's able to distribute the way he needs to. Yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's a good quarterback. He's serviceable enough for a good team like this. It's just about him consistently taking care of the ball like we saw for the extended stretch from what? The middle of last year up until the middle of this season, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, Browns, we don't need to spend too much time on this one. Browns at Rams. <laughs> Rams favor on minus three and a half. The total is 40 and a half. See, that one makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, could be Joe Flacco time. Uh, can't be anything worse than what we've seen from the quarterback position. They are statistically one of the worst passing offenses in the entire mm-hmm. league on a team that has Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore, both of which I think are very good receivers. Uh, we also need to monitor Miles Garrett's status going to this one. Has the shoulder injury. That would obviously a, be a massive loss for the Browns. Uh, be a big coup for the Rams who could probably use it right now. Um, my question is with the, the Rams, cause I spent a little bit of time talking about the Browns yesterday, so we don't need to go too in depth, but with the Rams, um, a four touchdown performance from Matthew Stafford, Kyron Williams was offensive player of the week in the NFC over 200 all purpose yards coming off the IR two DDs. What's going on with Cooper cup? Like I know he's battling the, the ankle injury right now. It was heavily taped up. Uh, Puka Nakua that you thought the addition of him would open things up for Cooper cup, but outside of like one or two games. And I know he was hurt at the beginning of the year too. Is it just the guy's 30 and he's broken? Or do you think that there's still something there? I don't think he's broken. I, I don't think he's broken, Maddie. I think there there is still plenty there. I really do. He immediately came off IR and was a target monster right away. Had two massive games and he's kind of been quiet since. Now, I think some of that is he's banged up. I think some of that is Stafford was banged up for a stretch and, and Brett Rippon was throwing him the ball at one right, point. Like, I still think there's a lot there. And I think, I, I do think having Puka Nakua there is actually the best thing for him, that there's another competent pass catcher, which they haven't really had. Even if they're winning the Super Bowl, like OBJ, thankfully, they're actually really fortunate they had him because he was the only other guy that was giving, that was giving defenses problems at that time besides Cooper Cup. I, I think he still has it. I think there's still a fair bit left in the tank there. He's still a really good receiver. And the natural chemistry that he has with Matthew Stafford, as long as Stafford's the quarterback, I, I think he's going to put up numbers. Because they that guy just has an, a natural propensity to look his way in every possible situation. So I'm not I'm not out on Cooper Cup. I'd still, I'd still have faith and confidence in him and what, what he's doing there. I just think I wonder what the direction of this team is more broadly going forward. Like, how much is left? We don't know what's happening. Is Sean McVay going to continue to be the coach? What's going on with Matthew Stafford long-term? Because there's, you look at them on paper, there's still a lot of interesting pieces that they have, and you say they're they're talented. You, you see what they did last week, and you're like, okay, well, they're more inconsistent than what they used to be. And that mm-hmm. is, I think, the biggest thing. There's talent there, but the, the consistency with which they produce is not what it was when they were trying to win a Super Bowl, ultimately getting there and hoisting the Lombardi. Uh, this one we can probably spend a couple more minutes on. Oh, yes. 49ers. Fun one. Minus three on the road in Philadelphia. By the way, for anybody wondering, the Philadelphia Eagles have still only lost one game, and they are three-point dogs at home. The total there is 47 and a half. Um, 
I'll talk about that total later on with my best bets. <laughs> uh, the, this is the marquee matchup for week 13. And, you know, the, the Niners being road favorites, I know that they have played very well lately. They look like the Super Bowl contenders that we thought they were at the beginning of the year. The defense has been great after the addition of Chase Young. This could very well be a preview of the NFC Championship game. And here's the other thing. Could be a preview of who finishes in the top three in terms of MVP voting. Like, we're not talking a lot about Brock Purdy because he had three games where he didn't play well, or at least the team, well, the team itself didn't play well, but he didn't play well in those games either. Two of which he was concussed for, and apparently the only time he throws interceptions is when he is concussed. <laughs> Brock Purdy has been fantastic this year. The offense is clicking. Yep. Christian McCaffrey's been great. What's the key matchup for you in this one? Because Ooh. I look at it and I say, it's for me, it's Christian McCaffrey versus that Philly front four. Okay. I will sort of steal a little bit of what you mentioned there. But for me, it's it's all about what happens in the trenches. It's on both sides. Sure. Defensive line versus offensive line. Eagles on both I mean, Eagles, San Francisco 49ers on both sides. Because to me, these two teams are the most complete groups in the NFL. Across the board, position by position, in all facets of the game. Like they these guys play, these teams play complementary football. So I think naturally for me it comes down to hey, how does that Eagles O-line stack up against what the Niners are throwing out there on the defensive side of the ball in their front seven? How and vice versa, how does it look on the other side of things? That's what I've been most curious about with these two teams is I think that makes the difference. Uh, there's a lot of terrific skill position players on both sides of the ball. I have confidence in both of the quarterbacks, but it's about which defensive front can be more disruptive, which offensive line can hold up better. And that is what I'm most curious to see. Also with Philly, they can't, they can't have these lulls. Like they have to make sure they actually start on time to steal a phrase that we've used to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs for years, starting on time. Mm -hmm. They have to make sure that they actually come out and understand that there's four quarters and not two because they've trailed that halftime in each of their last four games. Yeah, you can do that when you're playing teams that aren't as talented or as skilled or, or as efficient as you, but this is a team that is of your caliber at that level, possibly better than you. So you better make sure you bring your lunch pail and you're ready to play four quarters. Otherwise it's not going to be easy to be in a position like you were last week or two weeks ago where you're trailing and you need to come back in a football game. There's well, for me, there's more questions about Philly in this game than there is San Francisco. It's crazy to say, it, but I, I kind of agree because I said this before. I don't, I said this to Adam rank this week. I don't think we've seen Philly play a complete game Correct. yet this year, and they've only lost once. And it was to the Jets of all teams. If if I if I may. Sure. I know Eagles fans would probably hate to hear this and be disappointed. You're better off losing this game. You're better off losing well, this game. It's hard being a team twice in the same year. I'll because tell you that. that true, but this is the thing. This team, they've gotten away with all their mistakes up until this point. Mm -hmm. They haven't faced an ounce of adversity yet. Yes, when the chips were down, they've made plays. No question. 100%. Last week, look at that. But you can't tell me. It, would you rather trade a loss right now, just get slapped in the face a little bit, wake up now, or have it happen in the NFC Divisional Round or the NFC Championship game? Mm -hmm. Take it now, if that's the case, and face some adversity for the first time all year. Better position yourself for success when the postseason rolls around. 
I think this is a game where if Philly loses, it actually benefits them more than if they win this football game. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, we were going to get to Chiefs and Packers, um, but we don't have time for that. So we can continue <laughs> with that. Um, and sorry to, I think it was Brandon and Keswick who texted in about that. Uh, sorry, we missed it. But I do think that the Packers are playing better, so I will give you that. And Jordan Love's on pace for 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 4,000 yards. It's pretty good. Anyway, yeah. back to this Eagles-Niners game because then i got to get to my best bets shortly. Yes. I agree. I think that Philly facing a little bit of adversity is good for them because they still have a cushion in the NFC. Like, that's the other thing, too. Losing a game right now, you don't lose anything from it. You're not going to lose your standing where you are in the NFC playoff race. You're not going to lose home field by losing this game. I mean, you could down the road if you don't take care of business because of this game. Next week. But you don't lose it this week, and that's a big one. I mean, you also don't really... Maybe you want to have a little bit more piss and vinegar going to play the Cowboys the following week because that's also going to be a big that's, one. That's the game I have circled next Sunday is because also for MVP uh, chatter and the fodder Dak there. Prescott, yeah. Dak needs to win that football game to win the MVP. I'm on the Dak MVP train, by yeah, the way. God. He's, he's been great. Um, and the defense, like I said earlier, the defense hasn't been elite against good yeah, teams. That's so, true. They're, we're going to learn a lot about them in the next four weeks. That's for sure, considering that they play um, they play the... I have their schedule. Yeah, I got, they got the, the Eagles, they play the Bills, they play the Dolphins, and they play the Lions. Correct. So we'll see what happens. Okay, best bets time. Uh, I'm definitely going with the over 47.5 in that Eagles-Niners game. I think both offenses are really good, and I'd be shocked if they don't hit it. Although I was shocked at the overhit last night, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Keenan Allen, anytime touchdown. Here's why. The Patriots suck, plain and simple. <laughs> Keenan Allen is going to score a touchdown. Yada, yada, yada. He's going to save Brandon Staley's job for another week. Whatever. He's still getting fired at the end of the year. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for us here on the Fan Checkdown for the week. Enjoy the week of football or weekend of football. Danielle, thanks for jumping in, pal. Thank you, Maddie. Thanks to Austin behind the glass. Thanks to everybody for listening this week. I'll be back Monday. Enjoy the weekend.